So um, last Sunday, I think last Friday, before the last Sunday, um, Miss Jennifer, Miss Je- Mrs. Jennifer Smith, the elementary director, said, um, you should come into the kids' ministry, the big room, um, at the 1040 hour and just meet the kids because they're gonna be in the service. And so I thought, well, that's a good idea. I'm gonna do that. And so I went in and I had a, an additional idea. By the way, if you're a kid, one of the cool things that they do is they put little notes together that are kid appropriate. And, oh, and some of you have them. So good. Um, this, is, this is really cool. But I thought maybe another way to help our kids engage this morning is I went in and I said, okay, so here's what I'm gonna do for Sunday morning. I'm gonna be on stage and you can choose any three words, any three words you want, and I will take them and I will work them into the message on Sunday, right? And so, you know, they're like shouting out words and all that sort of stuff. And the three words that we landed on. So when I said, when you hear these words in service, you have my permission to like clap and cheer and go woohoo, and you won't get in trouble by your parents. Okay, so, so the three words that they landed on that I have to work into the message this morning are toothpaste, Fortnite, which is a video game, and you see it, Oompa Loompa. So that should be interesting, right? So when you hear those words, not just kids, but adults too, you gotta like clap and cheer and like get into it, okay? Should we try one just to see how it works? Ready? Toothpaste. You guys got this. I mean, you are advanced. This is going to be good. All right. So this morning, we're going to um, continue on. We're going to actually do the final message in the series that we've been doing on church leadership. So Tim and I have been taking the last, actually the month, the month of May, the last four weeks, and then this morning, to kind of just dig into um, church leadership. And we're at a point in our church, maybe for context, where we're shifting our church leadership structure. And so we've had a structure that has consisted of trustees and pastors up to this point, and we're shifting to a structure that is about elders and pastors, or elders slash overseers and pastors. And essentially, so we've been looking at what elders are, because that's a little different, that's a little bit new to us. But it's probably important, again, just kind of as a recap to say, So we haven't had elders per se, but we've got what the trustees and the pastors have done is kind of split the responsibilities of elders. So each of them have been a little bit more specialized. So the part about elders that's a a little bit more on um, caring for our resources, so properties, the financial part of the church, some of the governance of the church, the trustees have handled. And then the pastors have handled more of the shepherding of the church and the teaching of the church, right? And a bit of the governing as well. What we're shifting to is a model that, and and we are far from having it worked out at this point, but we know we're shifting to a model that is more elder pastor driven. And so essentially all of these things that we've been talking about each week are responsibilities, qualifications, roles of elders. All of the pastors and elders will be expected to have those qualifications, right? And so it's a little bit more of a generalist model. And then at some point, we're gonna develop a governing board. So from this group of pastor elders, some of them will be pulled in order to be uh, like an overseer board or an elder board of the church. So we have lots of work to do to try to figure out what that looks like. Um, This summer, we're gonna spend a lot of time doing that. In fact, next week, I'll give you an update on where we're at. 
um, and, and kind of what the trustees and the lead pastors are talking about. And, and then, you know, as decisions are made and things are, are becoming clear, I'll just, me or Tim, will come up here and we'll just kind of share with you the direction things are headed. So over the last few weeks, this is, I, I just think this is interesting and important for us to know. I think Tim and I both said it, him last week, me the week before. When we talk about the leaders of the church, the leaders of the church are different than the leaders that we look for in the world right? Like in the world, we may look for, we look for certain qualities in leadership. We expect certain qualities in leadership, certain skills, a certain charisma, a certain influence sort of thing. But in the church, if you remember, what, what are the qualifications for, for elders and pastors in the church? Well, first off, it's that there's a filling that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, right? That's kind of the baseline expectation. And then all of these things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks are about character. They're about having a shepherd's heart, right? Far above any skills or proficiencies or, or business acumen or anything like that that we may expect of our leaders in the world. And so there's still, again, a lot of details that we're going to be working through in these next couple of weeks. But this morning, I want to finish the series, this little series, and then we'll flip back over to Acts. Um, and I want to talk about unity. I want to talk about the choice or the decision to be unified, unity in the church, okay? When I was a kid, I played a ton of baseball. Anybody a baseball player in here? Or used to be a baseball player? I'm a used to be a baseball player kind of guy. When I was young, like if you were a sports person, that's what you did, you played baseball. If you're a boy, you played baseball. If you're a girl, you played softball and you did it all summer. And so I played lots and lots of baseball growing up. I was on lots of different teams, but one team was special. One team was, um, we didn't lose a game the entire season. We went 17 and 0. Um, they, it was, it, not only did we get like a little trophy for winning the thing, but because we were undefeated, we also got these little plaques that they made us. I had on my wall growing up that said 17 and 0 champs, right? Uh, by the way, this is what I look like. Go ahead, flip to that next. Yep. Actually, I think this is the year before this team, but you can see like the intimidation in my eyes. <laughs> Ferocious young man. And yes, my hair was feathered back then. It was amazing. I don't know what happened. Anyway, um, if, you, if you played baseball, you probably experienced this too. Every time you win, then what do you do after you win a baseball game? Go get ice cream, right? And so we got a lot of ice cream that year because we won every one of our, of our games. And um, that year, I had to be sure that when I brushed my teeth, I used a little extra toothpaste. Man, you guys are so good at this. This is great. Anyway, so this team, this was, this was an incredible team. We didn't lose. My memory is a little bit foggy because I'm getting old, but I'm pretty sure on this team, we had a future Mr. Football Ohio, which is the title given to the, the best football player in Ohio. We had a future Olympian on this team, future Bob Sledder. We had a future NFL All-Pro Super Bowl champion on this team as well. And best of all, we had a future pastor on this team too. Like it was this incredibly talented group of people. But we weren't just good because we had a bunch of really good individual players. We were really good and we were undefeated because we all played together as a team, right? So we were friends with each other. We liked each other. We laughed together. Um, each of us had a part to play on the team. I was the catcher. I was, uh, 
uh, what my parents described as hyperactive as a kid. And so the catcher got to be like in every play, like you got to touch the ball in every play. But we had really good pitching. We had really good infielders, first, second, third base, shortstop, great outfielders. The hitting was incredible. But we all knew what our role was. Good individual players, for sure. But we all knew what our role was, and we tried to do it to the best of our abilities. And we had a common goal. You know what our goal was? to kick every other team's behind, to win the championship, show them that we were the best, and to go undefeated in doing it. And that's exactly what we did. I, looking back, <laughs> I was reflecting on this this morning. Like, I played a zillion sports. Like, I played tons of sports growing up. This was like the best team that I've been on. So like, I peaked athletically when I was nine years old. And so <laughs> that was a tough realization for me this week. Anyway, here's the point with this. Unity is powerful. Right? Unity is powerful. You see it easily in sports teams when teams work together like my baseball team did, but you see it in families, you see it in workplaces, you see it in schools, you see it in the government when there's unity, which is not that often, but you especially see it in the church. And I would say specifically, unity in the church is powerful when the leaders of the church, which we've talked about over the last few weeks, when the leaders of the church love and serve and lead the church in the way that the Bible teaches with the heart of a shepherd and the congregation of the church, the priesthood, if you remember the first week we talked about we're a priesthood together, when the congregation and the priesthood loves and supports and follows the leaders the way the Bible teaches, it's powerful. If you remember, um, a couple weeks ago, I was in 1 Peter chapter 5, and, and Peter talks about the leaders and the heart that the leaders are supposed to have. And this is what he says. He says, I exhort the fellow elders among you, as a fellow elder, witness of Christ's sufferings, partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd them, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. They're to have the heart of a shepherd, right? A gentle shepherd. And then the writer of Hebrews addresses the congregation. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, he says, the writer says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, when the leaders and the congregation do what they're called to do with the right hearts about them, then the result, I think always, I know that's a, a, a strong word, I think the result is always this incredible unity together. And as I was preparing this week, I just, I think this is so interesting. Do you know what the last thing, excuse me, the last thing that Jesus prayed for his church in general was? So the last thing before he went to the cross, in fact, right before he went to the cross, his last prayer for the church was for unity. Like, isn't that interesting? Of all the things that he could have prayed for us before he goes to the cross, the journey to the cross, what he prays for is unity. And so this morning, we're gonna dig into that. We're gonna, we're gonna look at that. So if you have a Bible, why don't you flip it open to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're gonna pick up in verse 20. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we have Bibles in the, in the pew backs. It's page 903 there. If you don't have one of your own, you should take that Bible with you. That's, that's money well spent for us to have you have that. 
kids, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different gospels, four different books written by four different people, all telling the same story of Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, his rising from the dead. And so where we pick up in chapter 17 of John is right at the end of Jesus' life. So the context is the Last Supper, right? Like some of us, maybe you've seen this picture, Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. That's That's the context of this. And so this is the last time that Jesus is with his best friends before he goes to the cross, before the journey to the cross. And John gives us a little bit um, of an expanded version of what the, of the details of what the Last Supper entailed than the other Gospels. And so in, in John chapter 13, for example, he washes his disciples' feet. They eat the Passover meal together. He teaches them about communion. In fact, he teaches them about a whole bunch of things. If you read chapters 13 through 17, he teaches them about a whole bunch of things, kind of his last teaching time, final things that he wants them to know. But then he ends the time praying. And he prays in chapter 17, he prays in three ways. First, he prays for himself, so he's talking to his father, and he prays for himself as he's about to endure the cross, the pain and suffering of the cross. He prays for his disciples, you know, his best friends that are gathered there with him. And then the last part, which is the part that we're gonna look at, he prays for us. He prays for those through whom the disciples' message would reach, right? That's us. And so I wanna look at it together. So John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. So Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, I do not ask for these only, the disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their, through their word, that they may be one, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. So I, I, I read that and I think, what a, what a beautiful and interesting thing for Jesus to focus on as his last prayer for the church, the, the final prayer for the church at large. And so as I read that, the first thing that I notice is, that, is the most obvious. So if you're a note taker, this is kind of the first point here. The first thing I notice is this, Jesus prays that we would be united as one, right? So verse 21, he says that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. And so the unity of his followers, of the followers of God, are really important to God. It's prayed for here. Jesus prays for it here, but it's actually commanded in many other places in the scriptures. I wrote some of them down. 1 Corinthians 1.10, 1 Peter 3.8, Philippians 2.2, Ephesians 4.3, Romans 12.4 and 5, and lots of different other places. Unity is a big deal to God. So let me ask you a question. Why? Like, why do you think the unity of Jesus' church is so important to Jesus? I think it's a good question for us to ask. Like, why is unity so important to God? I'm not gonna answer the question yet. You gotta hold on to it. I'll come back to it. But I want you to just kind of chew on that as we work through this a little bit. I want you to just ask yourself that question. Like, why, of all the things to pray for, why is this so important? 
So as you're chewing on that, let me um, share with you three things that hopefully will bring a little bit of clarity as to what unity in the church looks like. And there's, you know, to be honest with you, there's, as I was preparing for this morning, this is going to be a little bit shorter message. We have the kids in the room. Um, I, there's 20 things that I would love to say about unity in the church and the nuance of it and what it looks like. We don't have time for that. Um, but I want to share with you three things that I think are really important for us to understand as we start to think about, like, what does this practically look like for us? So here's the first thing. Unity is a constant choice we make based on our love. Unity, as we talk about unity in the church, Unity is a constant choice over and over and over and over again that we make based on our love. It's not a reaction based on what people say or do or don't say or do. It's not a reaction, it's a choice that we make over and over and over again to be united. The church doesn't just fall into unity. It's against our nature, right? We're a bunch of individualists who want what we want. You have to choose to be united. In fact, many times we have to fight for unity. And when we choose it, we do it because we love God and we love his church. And we go, it's important to God. He commands it over and over and over again in the scriptures. And so I wanna be obedient to him and I wanna fight for it. I wanna do it. And choosing unity, like when you think about that, like, okay, so practically what does that look like? What it intimates is that you and I would say things like, if I'm gonna choose unity, therefore, I don't need to always have things my way, right? I don't always have to get what I want. If I'm gonna to choose to be united with other people, I'm willing to lay aside many times my own preferences for what's good for another or what's good for the whole. And when we do that, here's the beauty of that. Like when we're willing to do that and go, it's not just about me. Yeah, I would prefer you know, that we would have this or that we wouldn't have that, but it's not just about me. When each of us does that, unity happens because we're less concerned about ourselves and we're more concerned about us together. And so the first thing to notice, I think, is that unity is a constant choice over and over and over again that we fight for based on our love for God and our love for each other. Here's the second thing. Unity is not uniformity. Unity, they sound alike, but they're not alike. Unity is not uniformity. When we say unity, we don't mean that we agree on everything. We are a, there's a lot of people in this room and we're different people. There is no way that we are gonna agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. It doesn't mean that we all think the same, that we all look the same, or even that we all act the same. And what it reminds me of, like, was I think about, you know, unity and uniformity. What I think about is Paul's um, description, his metaphor of the church. So this is the church, right? This is the people. The church as the body of Christ. Remember this? It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what he says in there is that the church, we're one body together, but we're made up of a whole bunch of different parts, Right? As a whole, we're one, but when you look closely, you see each of the different parts are really, really different. And each of them have roles and responsibilities for what's best for the whole body. And what it reminds me of is, I got my bag of tricks here. What it reminds me of, kids, you ready for this? You zoomed in? Good. Here we go. What is this? What is this? Mr. Potato Head, right? And as you look at Mr. Potato Head, this Mr. Potato Head 
is perfect. He's got two eyeballs, he's got two arms, he's got two buck teeth, he's got two feet, he's got hair, but that doesn't make him perfect. He's actually much better without the hair, right? Let's be honest. But you look at him and you go, well, that's, that's what the church is supposed to be like. One body made up of a whole bunch of different parts. That's unity. Uniformity is different. Uniformity looks more like this. This is a Mr. Potato Head that's got all arms coming out of him. This is a monstrosity. This is unnatural, right? But this is what uniformity is. And you go, okay, it's one body and all of the parts look very much the same. And we go, well, that's, that's not right. Like, how do you walk? How, how do you talk? How do you hear what anybody's saying? Or maybe it looks like this. This is Mr. Potato Head with all noses. I had a lot of fun with this this week. <laughs> we got some big noses, some small noses, some upside down noses. But you look at this and you go, well, that's, that's not right, right? Like, how do you see? You could smell really, really well, which may not be a benefit, but this is not right. This is uniformity. And we go, that's not what, that's not what unity is. Unity is this. We're one body made up of a whole bunch of different parts and we each have roles and we each have responsibilities and we work together as one. Does that make sense? Here, here's the next thing to say about this. Each part affects the whole. So unity is not uniformity. And here's the next thing. Each part affects the whole. Meaning when we're a united body, what I say and what I do and what I don't say and what I don't do will have an effect on everyone else, right? See, I, I should make the choice for unity based on my love for God and my love for his church, but I should also recognize, and this is, this is where it gets hard, I should also recognize that everything that I do will have an effect on the rest of the body, right? So each of us should feel that. Each of us ought to be thoughtful with that, with the things that we do, the things that we say, because if I'm not careful, my part can have a very negative effect on the rest of the body. And so it reminds me of this. Here's an example of it. If, if my right hand, I call him righty, if my right hand says to me, you know what I like to do, body? I like to grab a piece of wood and take pointer, my pointer finger, and I like to just rub it along the wood, like this. Do-do-do. <laughs> And what happens eventually when you, this is actually making me nervous, do they? What happens eventually when you rub your finger along wood? You get a what? A splinter. And when you get a splinter, do you go, oh, I just got a splinter, no big deal, and continue on with life as normal? No. You get a splinter and you go, ouch, that really hurts. And your entire body has to stop and figure out how to get that splinter out. All because this one silly finger this, that's part of this silly hand says, well, this is what I want to do. And we go, okay, it's the same with the church. Sometimes to greater degrees, sometimes to lesser degrees, each part of the body affects the rest of the body. Sometimes in incredible ways, sometimes in incredibly positive ways, and other times in less than positive ways, right? Look, look back at our passage. So the second thing I notice from this passage is this. 
So Jesus prayed that we would be united as one with the Father and the Son. And so in verse 21 he says, that they, may, that they also may be in us. I in them and you, Father, in me. And I could be quick with this one, but I think it's worth noting. Our, our unity that we talk about in the church, it's not just around like something that we have in common together, like, like a political affiliation or something like that. Our unity is not just around, you know, like something that's good for us. Like we all believe that exercise is good for us and we're united in that. It's not, our unity isn't about something trivial. Like, you know, we're united in that every Saturday night we get together and play Fortnite. Nice. You guys got it. Point is, unity isn't about those kinds of things. What we're united in is Christ. We're united in the Father and the Son. And I think it's, I think it's safe to include the Holy Spirit in that too. We're united around our relationship with the God of the universe as brothers and sisters. We're part of the same family. And it's a family that extends back 2,000 years and it spans countries and people groups all over the world. Like the unity that we're talking about is our unity in the Father and the Son. And I would encourage you, I don't have time to, to continue in that, but I would encourage you to give some thoughtful reflection to that because there's some serious implications with that. When we talk about being united in Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ, there's some gold in there if you're willing to dig for it. I'd encourage you to think about that this week. Let me give you one last thing, then we'll be done. One more time. So the last thing I think from Jesus' prayer that I wanna pull out is this. Jesus prayed that we would be united as one with the Father and the Son to show the world Jesus' mission and love. To show the world Jesus' mission and love. In verse 21, he says, so that, be, that they may be one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them even as you love me. So I asked the question earlier, why? Like, why do we think that unity in the church is so important to Jesus? Well, I think herein lies the answer. Because an extraordinary unity among a really diverse group of people with different backgrounds, we all got different backgrounds in here, different experiences, different upbringings, different preferences, different schooling, different jobs, different hobbies, an extraordinary unity among such a diverse group of people isn't normal, right? Like it, it sticks out in the best possible sense. It will get noticed. And I think it will cause people to beg the question, why? Like why on earth do you get together each week and multiple times each week and you go, it's not about me. I'm not focused on myself. I wanna know how you're doing. I wanna come alongside you when you're hurting. I wanna like lay aside my own preferences and hear what's best for you. I don't wanna fight. I don't wanna fight for what I want. I wanna love you. And people would hear that and people see that and they go, well, that's, that's what I want. Like that's very attractive to me, right? See, unity in the church is not really about us. I think we could be inclined to think that. Like, why did Jesus pray for unity of the church? So this goes well. I actually don't think that's the primary reason at all that Jesus prayed for unity in the church. 
I don't think it's about us and how well we get along and work well together and that we would have no fights and no stress. I think it's to show the world what Jesus and his gospel does to people, to show the world what Jesus and his gospel does to communities of people. He changes us, he transforms us, and our love for one another and our unity is a beautiful demonstration of that to a world that is constantly fighting for what they want. Right? We see it all around us. Sometimes we participate in it, in the world. When the world looks at us and they go, you're living different and you seem happy and it's not about you, you're being selfless. It's so attractive when our world functions so very differently. I see it this way. I think unity facilitates our mission. Unity facilitates our mission to help people understand Jesus and his gospel. Miss Jennifer was sharing this week um, with the elementary students that one of the things that they talk about there very regularly is letting your light shine. You know, we wanna be people that let our light shine. We wanna love Jesus, we wanna walk with Jesus, and we want that to kind of shine out of us. And I would say unity is a, a really important part of that light that's shining out of us. It shines very, very brightly when we do it well and when we fight for it. And I think about this, the world can't see the Father the world can't see Jesus anymore physically. He's not physically on this earth anymore. But I'll tell you what, they can see God through Jesus' body. That's us, right? And we can make him attractive by the way that we selflessly love each other and are united as one. Unity's powerful. It's powerful. It's good for the church. It takes diligence on our part. It's a choice that we make over and over and over again but it's worth it because it sticks out like a sore thumb in the best possible sense. People will see the unity that they have and they'll wanna know why and Lord willing, then we have a chance to tell them about the God who changes us and transforms us. Amen? Amen. I got one last thing before I go. Oompa Loompa. <laughs> Honest to goodness, I could not think about how to like work that into the context of the sermon. So. There you go. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just for the privilege, the joy of your church being able to gather together. And we could be silly and laugh together, but we could also be very serious. And we wanna take you and what you prayed for us, what you desire for us very seriously. We wanna love each other the way that you call us to love each other. You say in your word how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters get together, dwell in unity. God, may that be true with us. We've been through so much this last year as a church and we've got a hard road. We got work ahead of us. But God, as we do this work, would you just bond us together in an extraordinary way, a supernatural way that we could lay aside our own preferences, our own interests, our own selfishness and think about others and think about what's best for all of us together. Help us as leaders to love and serve and care for the flock really, really, really well, selflessly. And God, help the flock love and follow and support the leadership. May it all be to your glory, God. We trust you with this and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, 
Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.